We are live. Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, John Spurlock. Today is a little bit different, and by a little bit, I mean a lot different. Meaning, this episode is not being recorded at the Nutter Training Center like we usually do. We are coming to you from our homes because of the COVID nineteen breakout. Nobody is allowed on campus, but we still want to keep this podcast going. So. I'm here, and it's a beautiful day in Kentucky. I'm at my house in Georgetown. Our producer, Stephen Strobis, is, is listening in at, from his apartment in Lexington. And then our guest today, she is the Director of Performance Nutrition at the University of Kentucky, Monica Fowler, coming live from her home in Lexington. How are you doing, Monica? I'm doing well. How are you guys having that? We, we, are, we are hanging in there. It is good <laughs> to uh, talk to you because typically the weight room and the the main nutrition room at Kentucky are right next to each other. So we usually see each other on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis. Um, so us not having this interaction is definitely odd, but we appreciate you coming on and talking with us today. Yeah, I miss, I miss our five minute meetings in the halls while we're sprinting from one place to the other for a while. Absolutely. <laughs> so like I said, your official title is Director of Performance Nutrition. Um, we were just talking a few minutes ago before we started recording. You got to Kentucky in 2008, and I would like for you to talk about your path as a dietitian, and because this wasn't your first career, can you just start talking about you know how you got into dietetics and what your path looked like? Sure. Yeah, I, I've um, I'm definitely a non-traditional student, so I worked at UPS for 27 years, and I'm not sure if you can call that career. I I kind of call it a job that I had while I was raising my kids. I have two children. And when I had the opportunity to retire from there, I, I took it. And I was really a little bit too young to just be retired. So I never did finish with, um, with my degree when I was working at UPS for one reason or another and went back to school, got my degree in dietetics and um, really developed a really good relationship with uh, my professors at the uh, Department of Nutrition and Food Science. It's called Dietetics and Human Nutrition now. So um, I um, had the opportunity to come back when I graduated and work as an advisor. And uh, one of my professors walked into um, my office one day and just said, you know, the athletic department is looking for a part-time dietitian and uh, maybe you should go over there and talk to them. And the person I actually over there was Courtney Jones and um, she the first question she asked me was so why do you want to be a sports dietitian and I said you know it really never occurred to me because I'm not leaving Kentucky um, and I figured you all had four or five sports dietitians anyway so uh, really I never thought about being a sports dietitian but got got the job um, as a grad assistant so went back and got my master's degree in dietetics. And while doing that, worked here as a grad assistant and also at a long-term care facility. So I was working full-time, um, made my way through, tried to start setting up the department here, and then um, 
ended up uh, after I graduated being, there was a hiring freeze at the University of Kentucky. So uh, Jim Maddalino, our director of sports medicine at the time, asked me to just set up a consulting company. And I um, set up the consulting company and would just bill the university monthly for my services. And that went on until uh, Coach Stoops came in and at that time, I was able to be hired on full-time. That's definitely a, a non-traditional path. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one thing I completely forgot about because it's been so long is that you you were your own entity, meaning that you did have to set up that consulting um, business, and then you were, you know, paid that way. Um, so in 2008 and all the way up through 2010, when you were just a GA and uh, working as a consultant, and your staff has grown. It hasn't as grown as much as you would like it to, but let's talk about your current staff. You have Jalen, who is full-time. Is that correct? That's right. She's full-time with football. She does a great job over there. Just I'm so, so lucky to have Jalen Mason over at football. And then, Nicole, you have one GA that helps you out with the Olympic sports. Yeah, Nicole, then- Nicole Bianco. She's a dietitian also, so... And then Taylor, who's in charge of pretty much just managing our Nutter Nutrition Lab. And we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. Uh, but um, let's talk about your philosophy. You know, as you've become a dietitian and you've worked through uh, athletics and the struggles that go along with it, what is your philosophy now and how has it changed since you started this gig? Well, when I first started working for uh, Kentucky, you know, my goal was, hey, everybody's going to have a personalized meal plan and everybody's going to be so invested in eating right. And um, it's just going to be this many grams of protein, this many grams of carbs. And, you know, one of the first things I did when I, I finally got here and kind of got settled in what I was doing is I started kind of showing up at, at Shively for the summer workouts and we just kind of be there so the athletes could get used to seeing me and getting to know the athletes I realized that they weren't quite ready for grams per kilogram of food that they needed a more um, just a more food-based approach to talking about performance nutrition so rather than trying to sit down and say you're supposed to have 20 grams of protein at a meal they needed to hear, you need to have two eggs and a piece of cheese. So I, I realized very quickly that I had to dial back uh, what I thought that, that athletes and just really people in general know at that age about nutrition. So I've, I've really kind of developed a more food focused approach um, just showing people what their plate needs to look like rather than trying to uh, give them a set meal plan where they are trying to plug in stuff. We, we try to do a lot of education on, on nutrition just using food. Yeah, as we're just sitting here talking and I'm just thinking in my head about what your role on our staff looked like, back in like 2009, where you did show up to our early morning workouts in the summer when we would have 50 to 60 student athletes show up in the morning and train with us during those summer months. 
And I remember all we had was Gatorade products. We had Gatorade bars, Gatorade shakes. And uh, on Fridays, you would come in and we would have quasi uh, cooking competitions where we had like fold out white tables with Bunsen burners and hot plates. And we would divide the student athletes up into teams, uh, not necessarily with their own team, but it would be a mixture of volleyball, women's basketball, soccer, tennis, whoever was there. And they would have their cooking competitions against each other. And we called it Top Chef Shively. <laughs> Do you, when was the last year that we did that? Do you remember? Uh, you know what? I, I think it was, well, I think we did it right up until we moved over to, um, moved over to Nutter. But I, yeah. before that, you're forgetting that the first year that we did it, we gave them a recipe and divided them up into teams and said, bring the recipe in on Friday. And they did it. I'm just always amazed that they would, they would take the recipe, get together on their own and somewhere else, because we didn't have anything for them to cook on. And we would have a theme and they would, they would do it. They would show up with the recipe on Friday, present it. We were really lucky to have like cats, tutors and people from administration come over and be judges. But I was just so amazed. That was one of the first things that really struck me when I when I got over there and started looking at our summer workout was all of these athletes even though they're on individual teams they really come together and they're a team within Kentucky like Kentucky is the team too so when they're dividing up into this these groups and they're just meeting at somebody's house on campus to cook and they would come in with that recipe and be so proud of it and I I just thought it was unbelievable looking back now that they would do that and and then the next year we had the burners and they would cook there and I remember one morning about 8 30 we had 60 to 70 people all eating chips and guacamole because they had made guacamole in the in the green room over at Shively I mean those I remember that I look back now and it's like this like those are great memories uh, of the beginning just the bones of the nutrition department and and really the beginning of the partnership that we have with strength and conditioning. So absolutely, uh, those are really great memories. Yeah, it's cool to think back how far we've come as a whole from a nutrition standpoint and a strength and conditioning standpoint. But so thinking about what we have now, let's talk about our facilities. So fueling stations, how many do we have? And let's take uh, the Nutter Nutrition Room out of this. How many fueling stations do we have for our student athletes? So we have... For our Olympic staff, we I mean, Olympic athletes, we have two, two main filling stations. So we have the Nutter one, and then we have a pretty nice setup over at Joe Craft that is definitely pared down from, from what we have at Nutter, but, but uh, has a lot of options for the athletes to eat where they can, again, make whole food choices so they're not dependent on fuel bars and protein bars, even though I think those have their place. And then we have uh, team spaces. So baseball has a huge team space that is, um, is really set up so that they can actually have meals there if they want to and a buffet line, but a pretty good fuel bar over there for baseball, a huge fuel zone at football that Jalen maintains. And then we have team spaces that has been pretty fun for us as a staff to try to maintain and to mimic what we do in our other fuel bars. And just off the top of my head, I will tell you, softball has done such a great job of 
you go into their lounge, they use our same labels to label their food. They've really moved away from um, just processed food and you can go in there and open the refrigerator and it's full of fruit and protein and yogurts. And so uh, not as much prepackaged stuff. They have canisters of different kinds of nuts. And so seeing the teams and their different fuel spaces and lounge spaces embrace the food thing has been really good. So those are our main fuel zones. And then, like I said, we, we, we uh, maintain a lot of lounge spaces too. So let's talk about the Big Mac Daddy and just to give everybody a little bit of a timeline um, scenario with uh, our change in facilities. Our Olympic sports main weight room used to be Shively weight room. It's about a 3,500 square foot weight room. And then across the hall from that space, we have what we call green room. That is really a multi-purpose space. It used to be a racquetball court. It used to be softball and baseball's batting cages. At one point, it was also Monica's um, uh, area to show athletes how to properly fuel themselves. And as a strength staff, we would use it for plyometrics and agilities and things like that. But in 2007, I think it was January 2000, I'm sorry, 2017, Football got a brand new facility, which meant my staff and Monica and her staff moved over to the Nutter Training Center. And there is a room right next to the weight room that the football team used to use as cardio space. It used to be filled with treadmills and ellipticals. And Monica had the vision to turn that into a incredible nutrition lab is what we call it. It has five fully functioning kitchens. Monica, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit more about our Nutter Nutrition Lab? Oh yeah, I love talking about that place, and and I I have to give a shout out to Steph Simmons who you had on last week because she was my administrator at the time when all of this was happening, and I really think that without her, um, probably the Nutter Nutrition Lab wouldn't wouldn't exist. She's she's been such a strong support for my department, and I was so lucky to have her as my administrator at the time, but. So you walk into our Nutter Nutrition Lab, and we call it that because we want you to go in there and experiment, experiment with food and find out what works for yourself. So <clears throat> uh, you walk in, and on the right side we have, it's just a line of coolers, and it's full of all kinds of food. So you can <clears throat> get uh, grab-and-go stuff like deli meat, string cheese, yogurt, guacamole, hummus, uh, uh, fruits, fresh fruits, and chocolate milk and milk, things like that. But on the left side, when you walk in, we have five full kitchens. And we've made a point of making our, our athletes cook their food rather than, uh, than provide them cooked food. And the difference has been really profound, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> so from a, first, from a budget perspective, it's 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 a whole lot more financially sound to provide the ingredients for cooking than it is to go out and buy a pre-cooked breakfast sandwich. But when the athletes have to make their own breakfast, it's really easy to go over there and, and look at them and say, hey, how about, let's put some peppers in there. This is a way you can get some vegetables into your, into your uh, diet for breakfast. And I think like this year, working with the swim team, we had one athlete who for breakfast would always put in, all he would have is seven eggs. And when I went up to him and said, you know, you need to switch out some of those calories that you're getting from protein. 
three eggs and some cheese is going to give you plenty of protein. Let's add in some toast or a tortilla, and that's going to give you carbohydrate <clears throat> to fuel your swim in the afternoon. So in, in my view, this is a way that I'm showing them how to make their breakfast and making them aware to, of their bodies to say, let me know how you feel after you swim this afternoon when you've added in that carbohydrate. And I, I think that for me, having the athletes come in, use the space that we provided for them and get used to seeing my face and Nicole's face and Taylor's face so that when they do have a problem with their nutrition, they're able to feel comfortable coming up and talking to me rather than being sent to see a dietitian and not knowing who we are. So by the time they've been in our nutrition room four or five times, they all know who we are. And our view of it is, and we took this inspiration from the weight room, was when you guys have the freshmen come in, they are just using a bar to lift weights until you feel that they know how to use the bar properly before you put weights on. And, and our view is, is we're going to get you in here cooking in the nutrition room and we're going to provide you the food that we think you should eat. We're going to provide you the instruction to show you how to cook. And while you're living in the dorm, you're going to get all this instruction on how to do things properly so that when you move out into your own apartment, you're going to know, I know how to hold a knife. I know how to cook a meal in 20 minutes. I know what my plate needs to look like. I know how to set up my kitchen so that we are showing you this is how we want you to fuel your body and we're giving you the tools and the, the education and the knowledge to be able to do that. Yeah, it's an awesome space. And kind of like what you touched on a little bit ago is how when we first started this and our athletes would go to each other's houses and even though they're, and I'm using air quotes right now, their teammates for the cooking competition might not be their actual teammates. Um, I feel like we do a great job of be, being a team as an ADP unit and ADP unit is something I mentioned on our first episode. It's our athletic development and performance unit here at Kentucky, which encompasses strength and conditioning, nutrition, athletic training, sports, psychology, and a couple other entities. But uh, I think the core members of that and something that makes Kentucky extremely special is the relationship we have between the nutrition room, the weight room, and the training room. Monica, why don't you talk a little bit about how our body composition testing has evolved to not just look at percent fat versus, you know, fat-free mass and how we're looking at performance indicators now. Yeah, I think, I think what's really neat is like the, all of this stuff that's happening in sports right now where we are trying to look at the athlete from a more holistic perspective. We didn't have a name for it back then, but we were already doing it. So when I when I got to Kentucky, I was, I had my uh, relationship with, like I said, with the dietetics department on campus and they had the bod pod. So I was able to get permission to have access to that building and bod pod our athletes. And, and while we were pretty um, intentional about when we tested, we still hadn't gotten around to really looking at body composition and performance in a in a way that that made sense i guess is the best way to say it we we were doing it but i don't think we knew we were doing it and so 
we got to the point, and for me, a lot of mine has been, I, I need the expertise of the strength staff because I didn't come from, I wasn't an athlete in college. I mean, I ran track in high school. So I, I don't have the background to look at the bod pod results and say, what do we need to do here? So I, I could look at things from a nutrition perspective. So in my mind, one of the most important things that I had to do when I got those bod pod results was to sit down with the strength staff and say, you know, what are we looking at here? And I, I've learned so much from, from the relationship I have with the strength staff. So uh, over time, we've gotten a whole lot better at um, trying to get our testing of everything close together so that when we look at body composition, we're not just looking at what the number is. And I think we've done a good job of, and we're doing, and we get better and better at this, at talking to the athlete about getting stronger um, rather than getting leaner most of the time. So we, we, um, we are using what we see to, um, to see how they're performing. And I, I can give you a really good example of this. We had an athlete who, who had put on some, some weight um, and we were a little worried about her and we pulled up all her performance testing and she was running at her fastest and lifting, you know, maxing out and PRing uh, best at her highest weight. So it was really easy to advocate for that athlete to say, you know, she's doing okay right now. So uh, I think that we've gotten a whole lot better at not looking at body composition just all by itself in a silo, that we look more at this is just one number of several things that we're looking at to see how our athlete is doing. Absolutely. I think that's one thing we recently have done a really good job with. And it's been minor tweaks. Like you said, we've been doing this for a long time, but it wasn't until maybe two years ago. And I'll give volleyball as an example where we didn't, we did their spring body composition testing at the end of April, but I would do most of my testing at the end of March, early April. Um, or even maybe a little bit sooner than that. So even though they were s somewhat similar from a from testing um, it, it within the same semester, all we did was just bump the the body composition testing to match when I was doing their vertical jump testing, their weight room testing, and that just helped us, you know, more easily correlate, you know, performance measures back to body composition. But that came out of a conversation that me, you, Nicole, and Katie Poole were having, and it was an easy fix. But I think the communication that we have, even on a day-to-day -day basis from an ADP unit when we're just bumping into each other in the halls or when we sit down in a more formal setting once a month to talk about our teams and our student-athletes, those are where those ideas come about. Because like you mentioned, you learn a lot from us in the weight room and we do the same from you all in the nutrition room and all of our amazing athletic trainers um, on the other side of that but yeah. the, the next piece let's talk about uh, so when we do take body weights for our student athletes one thing that you and your staff do is plug in an ideal body weight for our for our players and athletes kind of talk through what 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 you see from those numbers yeah and and I kind of hate that term ideal body weight and it's certainly not it's not a thing that we're saying this is what we want you to weigh 
but there is a you can go online and find an ideal body weight calculator and it's a, something i'm sure that a insurance company came up with at some time but it gives you a ballpark number of for your for your height and for your age and for your gender uh what's a kind of a, a good weight for you to be at and what the insurance companies are going to say you're healthy and and so one of the things we've started doing is plugging in that ideal body weight as a reference and for me what that has done is is really helped me to look at what the athlete needs and what what we've noticed is trends you know over most of our sports this wouldn't hold true for cross country and uh but uh in some of the other track track uh, events but for the most part our athletes tend to be 10 to 15 pounds above that ideal body weight and and this would be some of our most fit athletes so when you have that ideal body weight to look at when you see someone who's gaining weight or and you're looking at their ideal body weight for us it it gives us an idea of is this weight okay between body composition testing and you know we don't look, just look at the weights but we look at okay their weight's going up and the amount of weight they're lifting is going up so you know we can reasonably think that this is probably good weight they're putting on if it's not going on too fast but on the other hand one of the things that i've used the ideal body weight for is to notice if someone's losing weight so if we see somebody who looks pretty fit and they're and they're below their ideal body weight then we know that weight loss no matter what their body composition is is not something that this athlete athlete probably needs and one another thing that i've noticed just just by referencing the ideal body weight is we have some athletes that are right at their what's considered their ideal body weight and their body composition probably isn't where it wants it to be we've had i've noticed this um specifically in a couple of sports where someone's body composition would be what we consider a little high for optimum for that sport but they're below their ideal body weight and that gives me an indication that perhaps they're just not eating enough food to to fuel building muscle you know it takes a lot of energy to build muscle you have to have those inputs in there so being able to have those conversations with the athletes of look you're you know your body composition you're not you're not putting on muscle the way we we hoped you would but you definitely don't need to lose weight so let's look at what we can do together to get some different get some more calories in you so that you're able to actually put on muscle and perform better at your sport so the ideal body weight is has been for me just a really nice tool to have to look at everything uh, that's going on with the athlete from a nutrition perspective whether they have injuries whatever it is and kind of use that as a guide to think about what the treatment needs to be the nutritional intervention needs to be let's switch gears just a little bit so obviously it's an unprecedented time for us right now with the coronavirus and everybody being off campus but let's talk about just from a generally speaking you've been in this business for over a decade now what is your biggest struggle outside of everything that's going on right now with the coronavirus what's your biggest struggle being a sports dietitian in the collegiate setting uh i think that for me i think that 
trying to deal with everything else that an athlete deals with and trying to make nutrition a priority. Um, I'm, I'm reading an article right now on how stress can affect uh, the ability to, to put on weight or lose weight. And I think that the student athlete is just such a unique population. Uh, we train right now, you know, our athletes, we train really early in the morning and they're going to tutors late at night. So all of that stuff affects nutrition. Uh, the ability to have access to food when you're really, really busy is, is, a, is a problem for the student athlete. Just being able to find time to eat meals during the day. Uh, we have, you know, I work with some athletes who when we're trying to schedule in a meal, because one of the things we do is sit down and say, okay, when can you eat breakfast and what's it going to look like? When can you eat lunch? What's it going to look like? And sometimes their dinner's not till eight o'clock at night. And so I, I know that the student athlete struggles really hard with being able to manage finding the right food and finding time to eat food. And one of the struggles is that all of our athletes that we work with, if you're at a division one school, you're a really good athlete. So you've made it this far eating the way you've always eaten. So here I am trying to get you to take it up and, and, uh, and change your diet a little bit. And you're already trying to deal with the schedule. You're trying to deal with money, you're trying to deal with practice, you're trying to deal with getting enough sleep. So the nutrition part is, is one of the things that can kind of, you can let slide and you're still going to be performing pretty much the way you performed anyway. So trying to get them to understand the idea that nutrition gives you the edge and it makes everything else you do a little bit easier. So that's one of the struggles I, I deal with. The other struggle is just that they have access to so much information. And I, I can only imagine that this is the same with strength and conditioning is there is every kind of hack in the world on the internet who has lost three pounds, you know, only eating grapefruit. And they're putting that out there as a diet. And, you know, student athletes are just as susceptible to everyone else's, hey, if I can get this done the easy way, I'm going to get it done the easy way. So trying to get the student athlete to make changes, um, small changes to see how that affects your diet and, and understanding that it's a process, just like lifting weights. The first time you lift weights, you don't leave there with a, a Mr. Universe physique. Same way with deciding you're gonna start putting in more fruits and vegetables. It's a, it's a change that's gonna happen slowly over time and we're all just an impatient species right now. So. For me, those are the hardest things that I have to deal with is outside information that, that doesn't match up with what the truth is and people just wanting to find an easy way to get something done when they're really, really busy. And the one thing that's very interesting, and we made a video of some of our former athletes, uh, people that graduated, you know, five to 10 years ago, we had them send us a quick selfie video of themselves talking through what they what they wish they would have done when they were here at Kentucky more specifically as they look back at their you know freshman and sophomore year and I I would bet to say almost all of them mentioned hey we wish we would have taken taken nutrition more seriously 
And a lot of them even talked about, I think it was Amber Smith, who's now one of our assistant women's basketball coaches, was like, you know, when she was here, it, you were just starting out with your position. So just like we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, where all we had was Gatorade bars and Gatorade shakes, and they were cooking at their apartments and then bringing that back to the weight room on Friday. That's the, the only resources that they had. And now we have fueling stations at every facility, a giant nutrition lab that's available to our student athletes. So um, uh, it's just interesting to hear that, you know, once they mature a little bit and they reflect back on their four years as a college athletes, the one thing they, they, uh, they, they want, they wish they would have taken more seriously, seriously is that nutrition part. And obviously that's something that you're trying to drill into their head early once they get on campus. Um, as I'm thinking through the struggles from strength and conditioning, as it relates back to the coronavirus, you know, the biggest thing for a strength coach is all of our student athletes are off campus. Our weight rooms are shut down. All of our f facilities are shut down. So I'm sending out body weight workouts um, to the teams that I am in charge of. I know other strength coaches like Coach D, Coach BMAC, and Coach Wood are doing the same thing. Um, so that's been a struggle for us as strength coaches because typically we're seeing our student athletes every day or every other day and we're able to monitor, uh, monitor them and coach them up the way they need to be coached and that this is very foreign to us. As a sports dietitian, same thing in the co college setting, what is your biggest struggle dealing with the scenario that we're in with the coronavirus? Yeah, just, just such a strange, surreal time that we're going through. You know, I used to say, would I eat this in a zombie apocalypse? And now when I see something that's out of date, I can say, would I eat this during the coronavirus quarantine? Yeah, it's just a really, really odd time. And one of the things that I've worried about is these athletes being a lot less active, whether they know it or not. And, and I just kept telling, I keep telling my teams that I'm working with that, you know, notice, I I have my Fitbit on. Notice how many steps you're taking every day because on top of the workouts that you're doing, you have to adjust either your calorie intake or your activity to maintain where you were. So really worried about, you know, just people not adjusting their serving sizes while they're off. They're used to eating a lot more when they're training and trying to get them to understand what, what that plate needs to look like when they're home. Uh, I worry about the support some athletes have when they're at home. Some athletes uh, may have a lot of good parental support and some won't. Uh, so I worry about them knowing um, how to maneuver through those family dynamics to, to get what they need and, and um, make the choices they need to make. Um, the other thing I worry about is... Um, is them just sitting in front of their computer while they're having classes and just mindlessly eating food. So some of the stuff that we're putting out on our social media is to, to think about um, whether you're full or not and really kind of listen to your body and, and set up some no snacking zones while, you're, while you are studying and doing your Zoom classes to make the spot that you're doing your schoolwork be different from the spot that you eat food. And and being intentional about the choices that you make. I've had three or four athletes send me pictures of food and text me asking for recipes. So I know they're doing some cooking at home. So I'm, I'm super happy to see that. But 
the things I really worry about are just them realizing that they're in a really different situation and they may either be more active than they usually are or less active than they usually are and being able to adjust the amount of food they're eating while they're doing that. Um, something else I, you know, I always worry about with our athletes is, you know, this relationship between sleep and, and food and not having enough sleep kind of, uh, the research shows that it makes you eat more food and makes you crave more carbohydrates. So I was thinking the other day about our, uh, West coast athletes that are having to wake up and be in an eight o'clock class at five in the morning in California and how interesting that's going to be to look at their body weights and stuff when they get back because they're going to be getting less sleep than people who are on the East coast. So I didn't I, even think about that, Monica. I, I, uh, I think too much about stuff like that, but I'm trying to put, um, a good spin on it of now you have more time. So what are you going to do with your nutrition now that you have a little more time is, is the way I'm talking to our athletes right now. And just so all the listeners know, you guys have been putting out some great stuff on your Instagram and Twitter um, accounts, but what is the uh, sports nutrition department's Instagram and Twitter um, handles? They're both at fueling the cats. Uh, so you can, can find most of our, most of our information's going out on Instagram right now, just because we're um, able to put out a little bit more content on that and write a, write a few more words on a descriptive basis. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older than most sports nutrition, nutritionist, and I am, you know, just learning Instagram. So I hope people don't look at my videos. You're doing a great job. <laughs> You're doing a great I crack job. I up laughing when I look at everybody else's. I'm like, oh, I don't even know how to do something like that. So, uh, but we're trying to put out, we're trying to be a little bit more uh, intentional with our uh, programming on that. And we're working, you know, my nutrition staff, we're, we've got some plans on uh, information we're going to be putting out in the next coming weeks. So late, what we're doing right now is kind of our emergency. What can I put out and what do I have in my refrigerator right now that I, that might be of interest to the athletes. So, uh, you know, they need to all, tune in and stay tuned for some really good content coming in the next few weeks. That's awesome. Well, let's call it there. Um, if you guys have any questions for Monica, you can send them a direct message on their Instagram page at fueling the cats. If you have any questions or comments for us with the podcast, shoot us an email at UK strength at UKY.edu. Monica, thanks so much for talking with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody stay safe. Go cats. <laughs>